Over the last 50 years, it has become customary to frame moral questions surrounding medicine and the treatment of all forms of life under the rubric of bioethics. The rapid development of modern technology has opened new possibilities, and with them, a whole range of difficult moral issues. At the same time, many in today's increasingly secularized society question or reject traditional Christian teachings on the sanctity of human life. Indeed, Catholics find themselves defending the gospel of life in an often hostile environment, frequently accused of attempting to impose their religious beliefs on the rest of society. They must also show that the Church's moral teaching on bioethical issues is a matter of right reason and not just revelation. In this interview, Father Michael Baggett presents some of the best books for studying and understanding Catholic bioethics. Father Michael Baggett is currently Assistant Professor of Bioethics at the Pontifical Athenaeum Regina Apostolorum. He is also Research Scholar at the UNESCO Chair in Bioethics and Human Rights in Rome. He was Adjunct Professor of Theology at the Christendom College Rome Programme from 2018 to 2022. His writings have appeared in First Things, Studia Bioetica, the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly, and Medicine, Healthcare and Philosophy. He is also an editor of the book Enhancement, Fit for Humanity, Perspectives on Emerging Technologies, published by Rutledge in 2022. Father Michael, welcome. Thank you very much, Father Dominic. It's a pleasure to be on. So, bioethics is a relatively recent discipline, and today you're going to talk to us about the your pick of the five best books on bioethics. As a relatively recent discipline, the term only again currency from the 70s on, and previously many of the issues that we currently associate with bioethics were studied as part of medical ethics. Is there any difference between bioethics and medical ethics, and if so, what is it? Well, that's certainly a controversial question, and I'm happy to give my take on the issue, and I would imagine the take of many of the authors I'll discuss today. There's a sort of prehistory of bioethics that I think it's worth uh, exploring, right? Certainly there are many philosophers, also moral theologians in our own Catholic tradition. I think of the uh, many great Spanish scholastics and others who have been exploring quite seriously the implications, the moral implications of healthcare and different procedures related to the key moments of life, whether at its initial stages or at its final stages. So I think that we have a very rich tradition to draw upon and we are we should not be caught off guard by the, the new questions that fill the, the headlines uh, of, of the news we watch. At the same time, there have been some major technological developments in these past decades that have has led to a, an increased interest and uh, focus on these matters. I would say that something that has come more to light in recent developments of, of bioethics would be uh, not only the traditional questions of medical ethics, right, a moral assessment of the human acts in a systematic way that emerge in uh, healthcare but also a, a sensitivity to uh, larger issues. You think about, we can think about 
ecological matters, uh, the responsibility that we may have to future generations in our approach to procreation, in uh, biotechnology, matters of uh, genetic engineering, of potential human enhancement. So I would say that there is a long-standing tradition of bioethical reflection that does not make bioethics a completely new discipline, but there are a range of concerns that are unique to, to our times, or at least the past few decades. And what led you to teach bioethics? Well, I, I think that I began with a great interest in some of the traditional questions of bioethics. I can think back uh, even as a child in, uh, in high school, uh, I would confront concerns about abortion. Now, I'm actually a convert to the faith. Uh, I entered the church when I was 17 years old, almost 18. So at that stage of my life, I was not a convinced Catholic, uh, not even a believer in God. Yet sometimes we would have these discussions uh, among friends about major moral issues, abortion in particular. And I can recall quite distinctly that I simply assumed that abortion represented a woman's right to choose and that we had no uh, need to interfere with with this woman's right it was a simple medical procedure and 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 that was that but i i had a very good friend who was uh, also an atheist who pushed back on on those positions those commonly held positions and i can recall him making very strong arguments based not in an appeal to religion or to the bible but based upon our study of science, our understanding of human embryology to establish that we were not dealing with a lump of cells, uh, but rather with a genetically distinct individual who like all other human beings deserve to be protected from uh, bodily harm and certainly from, from murder. And so I can recall being persuaded by my friend's arguments based again on science and we could say philosophy. Um, and really for the first time in my life, having a strong sense that there was an objective right and wrong, that there were acts that were truly evil and ought not to be accepted no matter how popular they were. So that experience left a, a, a mark on me. Later, I went through my own philosophical uh, journey of, of conversion, also a moral journey of uh, a change in life that led me eventually to affirm the existence of God, the divinity of Jesus Christ, uh, the divine foundation and protection of the Catholic Church. And so I entered into the church and it wasn't long before I began to encounter the so-called pro-life movement, uh, this effort to defend the, the weak and the vulnerable, uh, whether it be the unborn or maybe those who were subjected to the possibility of euthanasia or uh, those who are uh, marginalized in society because of disability. And, and as I got more involved in, in this movement, uh, the pro-life movement, I started to see that any form of helpful activism, of, of charity work, required also a serious intellectual formation 
it, it required the formation of a culture, right? We'll talk later about uh, Evangelium Vitae and this call for a culture of life. And a very important aspect of this culture of life is, I think, providing the intellectual tools and formation to help individuals at all level of society, but especially those who, who have the greatest influence through legislation or, or through um, their, their teaching to appreciate these truths of human dignity so that they can be transmitted to others and so that they can be reflected in our, our daily life at, at the level of, uh, of politics, in, in the family, in hospitals, uh, and so forth. So I started to see this need for a greater formation. And as I eventually discerned a, a priestly call, I, I came in contact with uh, Alberto Garcia, who is uh, a lawyer and professor at our Pontifical Athenaeum, who has for many years been involved as director of the UNESCO chair in bioethics and human rights. So he heard of my own interest, uh, a bit of work that I had done in terms of articles that I, I had written or news stories I had uh, followed. And so he invited me to begin collaborating more uh, with this chair. And I, I was exposed to an even broader range of important bioethical issues at that point and started to attend some of the events, especially the uh, chair's uh, bioethics, multiculturalism, and interreligious dialogues events. Um, I went to one in, in New York at the UN headquarters. I eventually traveled to Hong Kong to participate in the event, uh, in Mexico City in another year. And I started to come in contact with more uh, thought leaders in this regard from different religious or and philosophical traditions. I began to wrestle more deeply with these issues. And I started to see that uh, many of these issues uh, required and would benefit from an application of the rich philosophical and theological patrimony that many of us are able to receive, say, in our seminary training, in our university studies, but which needs to be creatively and uh, prudently applied to new issues that maybe aren't always treated so explicitly in the, the standard track of formation. And, and so I was then, after my ordination, invited to uh, deepen in my studies and began to pursue a, a doctorate here in Rome on, on these topics. And I, I chose to focus my research primarily on the transhumanist movement, which seems like to many a kind of sci-fi reality, uh, these efforts to radically enhance human capacities, especially at the cognitive mood or physical level. And uh, I started to uh, examine more in depth some of the leading thinkers uh, of this area, especially those professors working in Oxford, those who are the most serious philosophers. There are many people in Silicon Valley who do a good job of popularizing the ideas, but I think that some of the philosophers like Nick Bostrom, Anders Sandberg, Julian Savalescu, uh, working there as, as professors of philosophy and as leaders of important ethics think tanks, I think that they're the ones who offer the most serious presentation of these issues of, of human enhancement and what it means for uh, future generations. So that's what I devoted the, the bulk of my research to in these past years and, and hope to continue developing in these themes and to uh, explore other 
bioethical issues that that have such a major impact on our society and, and really on our daily life. Now, as stated in the titles, the first three books in your list are in Catholic bioethics. Yes. Virtually no one would dispute that there is such a thing as Catholic bioethics. So when it comes to issues such as abortion or euthanasia, official Catholic teaching is distinctively countercultural and less permissive. For this reason, they maintain that Catholics should not influence legislation in such a way that it would impose ethical positions peculiar to their religion on the rest of society. Is this a fair charge? If not, is it helpful to speak of a Catholic bioethics? Right, a uh, very good question. And uh, certainly the, those concerns are legitimate. Well, I, I would say that we can speak of uh, a Catholic bioethics in the sense, as I mentioned earlier, many moral theologians or philosophers in the Catholic tradition have been wrestling with these uh, key issues. We can also speak of a, a Catholic bioethics in the sense that we're convinced that uh, divine revelation uh, sheds light on many matters and, and gives great clarity in, in terms of grounding uh, widespread claims, for instance, of a universal human dignity, right? Certainly from the uh, data of revelation, we can see quite clearly that all are made in the image and likeness of God and all are called to a divine union uh, with the Lord and are called, in fact, to a, a divinization uh, in in divine grace. And that's a call that extends to all peoples, no matter their color, no matter their education level, no matter their intellectual uh, capacities, uh, etc. So there, there are great benefits uh, for looking at these issues from a distinctly Catholic perspective. But of course, that does presuppose that one makes an act of divine faith and, and holds the magisterium as a reliable guide. And that's certainly not the case for many members of our different pluralistic societies. So at the same time, uh, all of these books, I think, are still quite valuable from to someone who is not coming from a, a, a Catholic tradition, because part of our tradition is also appreciating the role of human reasoning and the capacity of human reason to come to uh, firm conclusions regarding the morality of, of certain actions. And we would say we can work from a natural moral law tradition in this regard. We can also speak of a virtue ethics tradition of certain characteristics, traits of character that, that assist us in consistently and with ease, promptness and pleasure uh, performing good actions and doing the good and, and obtaining those goods that fulfill us as human beings. So there are very many uh, philosophical approaches to these matters that you can find in these books of Catholic bioethics. Uh, to particularly address uh, these questions that you raise, I think also the, the first book that I mentioned, Biomedicine and Beatitude, An Introduction to Catholic Bioethics, which we have from uh, Nicanor uh, Austriaco, uh, this book actually does wrestle very directly with those concerns. The, the final chapter is devoted to how a Catholic should engage a pluralistic society. And so he is well aware of the fact that uh, 
many people in our societies are, are not going to simply enact in legislation the claims of the Bible or, or the, the Pope or any other magisterial document. So he, he actually proposes that we should pursue uh, a path of dialogue. He draws heavily on the thought of Alistair McIntyre, an extremely influential contemporary ethicist philosopher. And he thinks that we ought to uh, approach things from a tradition-constituted inquiry approach. So basically, we should acknowledge that people have different moral traditions. They have different first principles. Uh, they have different rules of evidence or uh, rules of argumentation. Uh, they have different ideas about what counts as a good argument, different ideas about uh, which sources we can draw on to make this argument. And they also might have different understandings of key terms that are shared across traditions, but that can be interpreted in different ways depending on the tradition from which one comes. So Austriaco, drawing on uh, McIntyre's thought, says that we need to make great effort as Catholics uh, to appreciate these different ethical traditions, to learn them the way that we might learn a foreign language, not by any means to begin simply by uh, condemning certain procedures or practices because they're not in accord with our magisterial teaching or because we don't think that they fit into a biblical picture. And not to begin in that way by any means because there's no possible dialogue in that sense, but rather we ought to learn these other traditions as a kind of second foreign language, appreciate where there might be real points of common ground, shared values, for instance, and then to eventually offer our critiques when necessary of these other traditions, but using the standards of those other traditions, uh, following their own way of reasoning, their own way of speaking, to expose possible inconsistencies or contradictions that might be present in those other traditions, but according to their own standards, not according to our our own you know, faith-based standards. And then after this long process, proposing that you know, perhaps our own Catholic tradition can, can offer a, a fuller, richer approach to these issues, can perhaps uh, fulfill uh, the desires of these other traditions to achieve, uh, achieve certain values, and, and perhaps can do it in a, a fuller, more, more consistent way. Now, of course, this is a project that, that requires a lot of time and energy. It's not something that can be you know, done in a, a set of sound bites, a, a, a TV interview. But I, I think it's it's the only about the only path we have to a real dialogue here. Uh, so I think all of these these books that I recommend uh, appreciate the fact that some claims are going to only be acceptable to those who accept a, a Catholic, uh, the Catholic tradition in its fullness, and those, those reflections are going to be valuable to one particular community, namely the Catholic community. But at the same time, the, the Catholic tradition itself provides the philosophical resources for a cross-cultural, interreligious, uh, cross-traditional 
uh, dialogue here based on a shared human reason uh, and shared values. And following up on that last question, what distinguishes Catholic bioethics from its secular counterparts? For example, would it be the Catholic tradition's insistence on moral absolutes instead of simply a set of pro tanto norms? Would it be the Catholic tradition's insistence on the unity of soul and body, in other words, a human embodiment, rather than a reduction of the self to autonomous will? Right. Well, I think that those are uh, very important insights and convictions that are uniquely highlighted in the Catholic tradition. I would say that we can find these truths expressed to, to some degree um, in, in philosophical reflections. There's a great appreciation in, in certain strands of philosophical personalism, for instance, of uh, recovering an appreciation for human corporality and understanding uh, that, that unity, I think, especially of certain trends in uh, neo-Aristotelianism for appreciating uh, the hylomorphic unity. Uh, but I, I would say that in practice, the, the Catholic tradition offers a very uniquely robust and consistent articulation of, of these truths while not being alone in that regard. And then also, as I alluded to earlier, the, the Catholic tradition makes very strong claims to uh, articulate not only the, the best fruits of human reason, but also to benefit from the gift of divine revelation, uh, to appreciate certain truths that would be inaccessible to human reason, or as, for instance, I mentioned earlier, uh, creation in the image and likeness of God and a, a universal call to divine communion with God, to eternal beatitude, to gaze of, upon the face of God. Uh, that Those are truths that are uh, accessible only through the light of faith and are transmitted to us through the, the Catholic Church. At the same time, the, the benefits of revelation are also at work in giving us uh, a greater certainty regarding those truths which we could reach through human reason, but which for various circumstances or situations uh, can be obscured. So we can come to an appreciation, for instance, of this body-soul union that, that you had mentioned, uh, but because of the limits of, of our intellect, because of negative cultural customs because of just the, the difficulty of, of these issues, uh, we can sometimes uh, lose sight of these truths. And, and as a Catholic bioethicist, I have the great benefit uh, of the, the light of revelation to confirm uh, without any doubt uh, also these, these philosophical truths. And this can be a, also a tremendous benefit uh, and to the, the conscience of, of the faithful, right? Because not every member of the church has the benefit of dedicating uh, a few years or decades of their lives to serious reflection on these matters. So not all have the, the luxury uh, to, to pursue the serious philosophical reflection on the full implications of the natural moral law, 
uh, on these matters, uh, much less to follow all of the almost daily developments in technology that, that can raise new questions. And so one of the benefits of the Catholic tradition as well is making accessible uh, clear and certain guidance on very complicated moral matters, even to those who might not have the time or the energy or the intellectual gifts to uh, really think all of these issues through uh, fully. The first two books on your list are introductory textbooks on Catholic bioethics. One by Dominican Father Nikonaus Rieko, of which you've already said some something, the other by the late William E. May. Why have you chosen these two and what are their respective strengths? Have you listed them in order of preference? Well, I think that all of the books I mentioned have their own strengths and you could say also their their limits as, as any work would have. Uh, I would say I'm quite fond with this book, The Biomedicine and Beatitude and Introduction to Catholic Bioethics that I alluded that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I have here in my hand the second edition. There's a, an older uh, first edition that was published about a decade ago, and then more recently a, a second edition uh, has been released. And in, in a little while, I can talk to some, uh, speak to some of the differences here. I, I think this uh, biomedicine and beatitude book uh, does a, a very good job in, in giving a, a clear, systematic overview of the major issues that concern not only Catholics, but I would say practically all bioethicists, at, at least in the Western world. And so he explores beginning of life issues, matters related to procreation, uh, the, mo the moral implications of the clinical encounter, what that means at an individual doctor-patient level, what it means at an institutional level when we start to speak of hospitals, for instance. Uh, he certainly treats the end of life issues, controversial themes like euthanasia uh, and uh, physician assisted suicide. He also looks at uh, organ donation and organ transplantation, and then all the host of issues that are related to uh, research, especially research that begins to involve experimentation on human beings. So, also matters of experimentation on human animals raise their own uh, moral issues um, as well. M most recently, he's added an entire chapter in this latest edition to themes related to bodily modification, um, which has become more newsworthy regarding issues of gender dysphoria, but he, he does not treat only those issues. He also looks at other themes of um, bodily integration, uh difficulties he looks at cosmic surgery etc so i would say that uh, he does a very good job in preventing in presenting this systematic and fairly comprehensive approach uh, his writing style is very clear and relatively easy to follow though at the same time uh, the book is quite well researched and uh, more up to date than ever obviously with the the latest edition uh, so one is is very much invited and guided uh, through his pedagogy to look at the major issues and controversies. I would say that he gives a, a sympathetic treatment 
to those with whom he disagrees. So he tries to take this tradition constituted inquiry approach that he proposes at the end of the work, uh, which he also considers in many ways uh, present in Thomism, right? You look at St. Thomas's own approach to those uh, with whom he disagreed, and he's always searching for the elements of truth, the points of common ground, and he always uh, looks to integrate any truth in their perspective into what he considers to be the, the most uh, appropriate answer, the, the fullest response to, to any given question. Also something that makes his work a, a bit unique, even in the fairly extensive literature of Catholic bioethics would be his great emphasis on uh, virtue and on positioning bioethics within the larger project of uh, renewal in moral theology that has taken place. Uh, so he's very much a student of uh, Pinker's in that regard in trying to highlight that the, it, the whole moral life is a geared toward happiness, to flourishing, to fulfillment, and that moral uh, morality, and in this case bioethics, ought not just to be uh, a series of discrete, unrelated, controversial questions uh, about what we should do in crisis moments. Certainly, uh, morality and bioethics does deal with crisis moments and, and needs to assist people in making the right decisions in those moments of, uh, of controversy. But even more than that, the moral life has its unity. And so each of our decisions uh, contribute to the formation of a, of a moral character. They contribute to the formation of, of good habits or bad habits, of, of virtues or vices. So he emphasizes that, that bioethics uh, is concerned with these major moments of, of human life, but we're also called to make daily decisions that shape who we are. And so he proposes different virtues that ought to guide in a particular way at any given issue. And he, he proposes uh, how to assist individuals in forming these virtues as they confront bioethical issues. So just to give a brief example, of course, we don't have time to go through them all, but when he looks at the classic beginning of life issues and say debates surrounding abortion, He's offering a very rigorous philosophical analysis of uh, of human embryology, of uh, human identity, of personhood. But he also wants to make sure that we're assisting, say, women in difficulty, or families who are in difficulty uh, in facing an unexpected unexpected pregnancy, to uh, form the the fortitude, the courage to meet these difficult moments and to make decisions that will require them to, to face a, a, a lot of difficulty and, and not to succumb uh, through weakness of character to, to bad decisions that will harm the life of the unborn and then also really be ultimately self-destructive to, uh, to the pregnant woman. So this this great emphasis on virtue and the unity of the moral life and the, the pursuit of beatitude, which emerges in the title, uh, I think is something that's very well highlighted and presented 
in in this work, biomedicine and beatitude. And as I've said, we we also are able to take advantage of a new edition, which has updated the literature and has uh, addressed some themes that were not so uh, present to uh, bioethicists only a decade ago. So, so that book is quite good, it, it, certainly in terms of limitation. Uh, I would say that as an introduction, as an overview, uh, it is addressing such a wide range of themes that there are certain areas that cannot be developed uh, with as much depth as you know some scholars on the issue might want or uh, that certainly could be pursued in book length treatment of the themes any one of the the nine chapters of this work uh, could certainly be the theme of an entire book or series of books uh, so Austriaco is well aware that he's offering a, a comprehensive overview. He's very concise and, and does cover quite a bit of ground in the 400 or so pages, but it's always good to keep in mind that to treat some of these issues, we, we would need to read even more specialized works. Uh, regarding the, the William May book, I think that it is in many ways similar to the Biomedicine and Beatitude texts that we look at. William May's work, Catholic Bioethics and the Gift of Human Life, uh, is here presented in its third and final edition because, uh, of course, as you mentioned, the, the author has since uh, passed away. Uh, I would say that in this work, the, the emphasis is certainly not as strongly on the, the formation of virtues as you find in Austriaco's uh, work. Uh, but here, one of the, the great strengths of William E. May is that he has a tremendous familiarity with uh, those thinkers inside of the Catholic tradition who are proposing um, what they consider to be a radically new approach to, uh, to moral theology and, and to bioethics that they, they use in, in many ways as a kind of intellectual justification to dissent from magisterial teaching. And so May is not at all content with simply scolding them for being uh, disobedient. He wants instead to show that there are, uh, in, that there is an incorrect philosophy or that there are philosophical errors uh, in their work and that their, their work should not be rejected or uh, resisted or adapted simply because it comes to the wrong theological conclusions, but because there are um, there is an inadequate philosophy that grounds the so-called proportionalist uh, school of thought, which is one that he is, I would say, most concerned with because it's the one that's had the most influence in terms of uh, Catholic bioethics of, of proposing uh, new teachings, new conclusions about bioethical matters. So with great philosophical uh, rigor, he, he addresses the, the implications of these themes and he cites the authors at great length to avoid a, a kind of straw man approach uh, to these thinkers. So again, th this can seem like a kind of, you know, Catholic baseball, right? It's kind of uh, inside the tradition, but of course, uh, 
it's important for Catholics themselves to have a good understanding, uh, not only of what the church teaches, but why she teaches it, and to appreciate the intelligibility uh, of her teaching. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview, or to support this podcast, visit the website fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on the platform of your choice so that more people can discover it and give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, God bless.